All right, I had a few handouts. I think Scott's got some. Probably, I've only got 20 or so copies. Maybe he made more, but uh, raise your hand if you need one, and we'll try to get it to you. Um, We're talking of service this week, Um, uh, going through the spiritual disciplines study, uh, the book by Donald Whitney. Um, In our uh, time this week, we're going to be looking at um, a couple of different aspects Uh, Some of the larger ones are every Christian is expected to serve um, and every Christian is gifted to serve. Uh, Those are kind of the two uh, subcategories that he draws out in his book. Um, And uh, we'll get to it here in just a second. Um, I I think my opening question for you all um, is in your in your own mind, uh, what do you picture when you hear the word servant? What is a servant in your mind? Someone who works. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we're kind of servants to our employers, aren't we? What about a biblical servant? probably what we're here to find out right <laughs> all right I have a raised raised hand over here i saw a finger pointed this for greg well someone who sets aside his personal preferences and yields his time and and direction to someone else or something else yeah yeah there's a there's a cost associated with with uh service Biblical service for sure. Um, I, I don't know how many of you all took the opportunity to, to pick up the book, but it's it's been really encouraging to read. There's a lot of um, uh, there's just a lot of cool analogies that, that he draws out with each one of these topics. Um, I think the one I want to share with you today is, is pretty neat, caught my attention. Um, and so I'm going to read directly from the book here for a bit. Uh, Donald Whitney says. It may surprise you that the Pony Express was in operation only from April 3rd, 1860 until November 18th, 1861, just 19 months. Uh, When the telegraph line was completed between the two cities, uh, the horseback service was no longer needed. If you're unfamiliar with the Pony Express, um, it basically started in St. Joe, Missouri, not far from here to our south, um, and the western terminal was in Sacramento, California. Um, it was a series of horseback riders that would uh, ride from station to station. There were 184 stations strung across uh, the Midwest and West. Um, and, and, and it would cost, I think, between $125 at the top end to $25 to send a half-ounce letter by Pony. Um, that was obviously our dollars today calculated out there. Um, but... Just just kind of a unique service that existed there for a short period of time. Uh, he goes on to say that being a rider for the Pony Express was a tough job. You were expected to cover 75 to 100 miles a day, riding hard day and night, changing horses every 10 to 15 miles. Other than the mail, you carried little else besides a revolver and a knife. In order to travel light and to increase speed and mobility during Indian attacks, the men rode in shirt sleeves whenever possible, sometimes even during the fierce winter weather. I, I've been on a horse before. It's not comfortable for me. I couldn't imagine 
um, having to go through <laughs> having to go through this. And here's here's what I'm building up to. Uh, one of the main recruiters, Bolivar Roberts, um, had this in his wanted ad. It's typed out there on your notes. It says, wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk death daily. Orphans preferred. Orphans preferred. Um, what, what, a, what a different day and time that we live in versus them. And, and, and Whitney's point here is that if, we, if we're really honest about certain aspects of uh, spiritual disciplines in terms of service, if we're really honest about service, there will be times where we need to be willing to risk um, death, um, where we need to be willing to risk danger. Um, and so my follow-up question to that is, um, where you're sitting right now within, within the body of this church, uh, within this building, is it easy for you, when you think about service, to associate risk and danger along with it? Um, well, what about toil and struggle? So from your perspective where you're sitting right now in America, in Iowa, in this church in Martinsdale, how frequently do you consider risk and danger being part of Christian service. What are some of your all's thoughts on that? And why would that be? Chris. Uh, danger in <clears throat> America <clears throat> uh, that I wouldn't really say we're in significant danger uh, from persecution or anything like that but uh, just being ridiculed by uh, non-believers or um, uh, for the way we, we think and act uh, that uh, I mean that's kind of our biggest risk of which isn't really that significant of a risk. Um, just somebody thinking poorly of you, I guess. Yeah, that is a, that is a good point. Um, dangers, danger not necessarily, but certainly risk. Um, what are coworkers going to think? Um, I know it seems like more and more, I don't know if it's me getting older or the culture changing around us, but I, I know... Oftentimes during my week, I'll think, man, if this person I'm speaking with knew what I believed about certain things, would they write me off? Would they, you know, and, and, and then the motivation behind what, why, why am I not forging that or certainly why am I not praying more for that person or maybe for that opportunity and conversation? What about toil? What about struggle? Christian service. I think if we're being honest ourselves, I mean, it, there are weeks where we uh, oh, we got to want it tonight, right? Oh, it's our week to be in the nursery. We got to get there early. You know that sort of stuff, right? Being honest. Um, anyone? No, nobody has ever thought any of those thoughts before. Okay. Oh man, we need to leave. <laughs> 
Oh, goodness. No, if, if we're honest with ourselves, there are those days, there are those moments um, where we can find ourselves feeling burdened, um, um, knowing that there is, is toil and work to be done um, and that it's not going to be easy. And so um, my prayer for uh, this morning and as the notes that Whitney's going to point out for us will be that you receive encouragement um, and that... Uh, or conviction. I think those are the two. Um, and, and we'll get to some of those points right here. Uh, let's open now to Hebrews chapter 9. Um, Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, our key verse is 14. But I'll start up in verse 11 and read through uh, 15. So Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. How much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What a, what a perspective that this provides us. And uh, that, that will kind of serve as we go through some of the different motivations uh, for our study this morning. We have been purified. Our consciences have been purified because of Christ's perfect death and atonement um, so that we may serve the living God. Uh, one other thing that Whitney points out in his book here that I want to share with you all uh, is a quote there written on your notes. God's word has no place for spiritual unemployment or spiritual retirement or any other description of a professing Christian not serving. So our key point Every Christian is expected to serve. So when I first read that quote, and, and you know, I'm going to circle the word unemployment here, um, my mind was centered more on the idea of non-employment, right? Someone that's just not participating, not serving, not being an active part in the church. But I got to thinking more about our culture. And, and when we talk about unemployment, here in the United States, we talk about benefits, right? That come from a government-provided service. Um, and how, if we're not careful, we can begin to see our brothers and sisters that are attending church, and for ourselves, if we're attending church and just coming in, and we're receiving, and we're receiving, and we're hearing God's word preached, 
and we're benefiting and we're benefiting. That, that's good, right? That, that's the purpose of the church. But what we're trying to get to here is that there needs to be an active participation. Uh, there's no room for spiritual retirement or unemployment. Um, and uh, the more I thought about it, the more I saw that just like our Social Security benefits in the United States, those are set aside for people who are out of work, who are trying to find work and get back in the system, but in the meantime, need a source of income. So they're receiving a benefit. Uh, they're not having to work for that. And clearly, what Whitney's laid out here is that uh, that could be applied on the spiritual side as well. We can, if we're not careful, come to church and receive and receive and receive, and we're not playing an active part in that. And so um, Whitney goes on to point out six motivations uh, for serving. Um, I have them listed here um, for you all. Um, obedience, gratitude, gladness, forgiveness, not guilt, humility, and love are six that he listed out here. Um, I'm going to allow you all to look at most of these verses on your own um, as, as you all go back home today and, and dig into them deeper. Um, I think the Lord will bless you if you do that and, and see this for yourself and read it for yourself. Uh, but uh, particularly, I want to look at gratitude in 1 Samuel. So let's uh, flip to 1 Samuel 12. So the verse that he points out here is 1 Samuel 12, verse 24. And it says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. There's the clear command to serve. For consider what great things he has done for you. This idea of gratitude. Have you all found yourself at times... Uh, either during your prayer time or maybe uh, behind the wheel headed into work, maybe when something um, tremendous happens, uh, either good or bad, you find yourself realizing just how good God has been to you. Um, and would anybody want to share um, some of those thoughts um, from your perspective on, on ways that gratitude has welled up um, in your heart? Because it, it can be a, a big motivation to serve when you think about the ways in which he has not just blessed us in abundance with some of our material things and, and earthly possessions, but just in, just in being a redeemed sinner and, and the evil that can still reside in our hearts if we're not careful to, to keep it in check and, and confess it and be repentant. Um, anybody? Gratitude. Thanks, Carrie. I think when I look at how people have served me, either like with their time or like opening their home or just 
I don't know there's a variety of ways, but I think that can really prompt gratitude and then like a desire to serve other people as well. So just looking at other people's examples and how much it's impacted me personally. And then that can motivate me to want to do the same. Yeah. Great point. Um, gratitude, being thankful actively, not passively, but actively helps me to, um, it helps keep me from acting like a consumer all the time, where you're always looking for what's going to benefit you the most. Um, you realize you're already so blessed. Um, the people, I mean, we shop for everything now, for products, for services, for churches, for friends, and um, it's easy to get into that mindset. But if you're, if you think about, if you start counting your blessings and you realize, oh my goodness, there's so many of them, and then you think, what, which of these do I deserve? <laughs> None. Um, it helps keep you from going around always considering everything in the light of what's going to work out best for me with the least amount of effort. Yeah. You said me a whole lot. Yes, and that, that is correct. And, and my point is, is that you know, we, we are self-centered every day, right? Every day we are self-centered. <laughs> Anyone else on gratitude? Lois. Looking back a few years when I had my stroke, the church um, supported us so well and um, provided for us, and we were extremely grateful for that. Great. Well, I tend to think, too, of... Uh, I guess primarily of gratitude towards what God has done for us. Uh, it, it's certainly legitimate to to respond to the gratitude or with gratitude to the things that people have done for us. Um, I mean, God wants us to do that. Wants us to serve one another, love one another, and so to be grateful for that is certainly legitimate. But I think primarily we just look at. I look at. The, the thing that comes to my mind, I guess, is what I want to say is I know where, what, a, what kind of a person I was, what, what I would think I would deserve out of this life and out of the next life from the Creator God, and uh, he changed that, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's the exact, exact point I believe he's trying to make is... Uh, Especially for for believers who maybe, you know, have had, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A more dramatic, not the right word, but a more, oh goodness, a a more apparent, obvious conversion story, right? Someone that had a a rough upbringing or was caught in a battle of addictions and then found the Lord and and, uh, was saved and, and just, you know, for for. For believers who are in that category, I think sometimes it, you, there is a gratitude there early on. And I believe that is the reason why Paul, especially when new believers come in, we want to make sure um, that we're being careful with new believers before we put them in leadership positions because there can be a lot of zeal. And over time, we, we have to, to make sure that they're going to persevere in faith as well. Um, but my, my point in that is that um, their gratitude oftentimes... Uh, is is overflowing because they they see a huge change 
um, from what they were to what they are. Um, and, you know, for me myself, I, I grew up in church and I've made lots of stupid decisions over the years, but there have been points later in life and after coming to the Lord um, and knowing I came to the Lord. I think, um, I don't want to get too far off on my personal story, but um, I went forward when I was 10 to get baptized because a friend asked me to go with him. Like, hey, you want to come up? Sure, I'll get dipped. Um, and I went forward and was baptized. There was no repentant heart. There was no change. I could say the sinner's prayer and, and life was good, but it wasn't until much later in life that, that I really felt the work of the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin. And um, Even to this day, it, a thought will enter my head or an angry moment will consume me and, and I just think, oh, Lord, you have every right to smite me, <laughs> but you don't, and for that I'm grateful. So, um, Anyone else with gratitude? Let's take a look at gladness. Um, now here in Nehemiah, um, I probably won't call us to go there just yet, but with Nehemiah, the point that, that Whitney's drawing out here in his book is that um, in, in courts of kings in these days, if, if a servant was not glad or was not seen to be uh, content or happy even or cheerful, uh, they could be executed right out of the gate for looking sad. And so... Uh, here in Nehemiah 2.2, uh, Nehemiah's sadness for what's going on um, has caused his face uh, to be a little forlorn. And the king asks him, um, what's going on? You know, what, what's, what's the matter? When the king had every right to, to, to put him to death. But as we read the story, much came out of that moment. And uh, Nehemiah went to do great things. Um, but Whitney's point here is that that gladness needs to be part of our, um, our service. Um, I know, uh, you know uh, with raising our children, we, we try our best to teach them to, uh, to be obedient. Um, and we, we ask them to you know, obey right away, all the way, and with a, with a happy heart is usually what we tag on there. Um, because we can do things begrudgingly, but we're called and commanded to to do things without grumbling or complaining, um, which we should have tattooed all over every little thing in our house, but we don't. But it is something that we visit quite frequently with our kids, myself included. I find myself a lot of times, um, sometimes doing work, doing service especially, uh, not with a full heart, a glad heart, like I should, as stated here. Um, the next point comes from Isaiah um, chapter 6. Um, we can flip there. Isaiah chapter 6. It's a very, very familiar verse. set of verses here that we'll read. Verses 6 through 8. Chapter 6. Isaiah 6, 6 through 8. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. 
and then he went on to say in, in verses 9 through 13 there, uh, going to further depth. Um, again, Whitney's point in this is that Isaiah had, had just been forgiven. His sin had just been atoned for. He had the seraphim visit and, and touch the burning coal um, to his mouth. Uh, can there be danger? I guess my next question for you all. Can there be danger or should we be concerned about serving out of guilt versus forgiveness? Guilt versus forgiveness. I tend to have a guilty conscience. I, I do. Um, and, and what does that look like for us when we're serving? What would guilt-motivated service look like versus forgiveness-motivated service? Well, I think when we have a focus on, or I mean when guilt is the motivating factor, it's more about self. Mm-hmm. Um, forgiveness is more about uh, serving our God. I found that, though, that like if, if service starts with guilt, sometimes it will move to forgiveness because just the act of like getting yourself to do it kind of, mm-hmm. you sometimes get there with the eventual right mindset of forgiveness. But. Yeah. Yeah, God, God is good to us, and, and He can start with most any motivation. Come on, good, good point, Lindsay. Carrie, I think guilt can also kind of push us of like, if I could just do enough serving someone else, then that would remove my guilt. And we know, like both through experience and God's word, that there's not enough serving that could make us righteous in God's sight. And so I think that striving like obviously it's going to fail if we're doing it out of guilt and i think that starts to become like bitterness or resentment of having to serve instead of having that gladness and joy that should mark service good points good points anyone else with guilt i think for for me, when I read through this, I, I go back to gratitude. I go back to thinking about what all the Lord has forgiven me for, continues to forgive me for, um, as I repent and confess. And um, that, that tends to keep guilt um, at bay. All right, let's, uh, let's go to Philippians 2.3. Um, he did provide a couple of different passages here on humility. Um, one is in John 13. That is uh, where Jesus washes his uh, disciples' feet and talks about the importance of um, servants and masters uh, and how that order is, is exemplified by Christ. Uh, but let's go here to Philippians 2 where he, he again, is, is made an example. We'll read through verses 8. Philippians 2. Verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of, of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right there in that passage, you see the word obedience, humility, servant. Um, What an example uh, and what a reminder for us that when we find ourselves serving, um, we find our ways uh, wanting to try to work and build up the body, um, that we're doing it with Christ as our example. Um, and then finally, love. Let's, let's look at these passages on love. Um, we'll go to Galatians. We'll jump to Galatians here. 5. Galatians 5. Again, the point here in verse 13 is, is just to, to serve one another. Um, verse Chapter 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh. But through love, serve one another. Um, love is, is the motivator. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to take a, a deeper look at our, our key passage today in 1 Corinthians 12. And as you all know... Um, 1 Corinthians 13 goes into a lot of details about the importance of love. Uh, so let's go here to 2 Corinthians 5. And we'll follow up there before we get into spiritual gifts. 2 Corinthians Starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Again, this beautiful example of Christ's death, the love that he had for us, and how that love that he provided us through his death should be a motivator to serve others. So another uh, question here for everybody. Why is it easy for us to serve people for the wrong reasons? Why is it easy for us to serve people for the wrong reasons? You got it. Go ahead, Jacob. Since I know all about serving people with wrong motives. Um, <laughs> we could all write a book about it, right? <laughs> yeah. I, it goes back to kind of what you were saying with the guilt, when we do things out of guilt, too. Ultimately, it's a self-centered way of serving, which I think is our default way of doing things. Um, because ultimately, when we're doing it out of guilt, we're thinking, like... I forget who said it, but someone said we're ultimately we're um, trying to 
do away with the guilt, like as if our work could atone for it in some way. Um, and to your question, I guess, that why is it easy? Um, because we're self-centered, we're thinking about our own glory and our own self-exaltation. It's hard to not do that. It's hard to really give God the glory and think about why should I really be doing this? For me, that's just me personally. Yeah. Doggone self-centeredness, right? Just it's our default. I wonder where that came from, anyway. <laughs> Genesis, right? All right, let's uh, let's take a look now. We'll we'll kind of transition into um, the idea that he lays out here that every Christian is gifted uh, to serve. Um, A lot of there's there's some passages we'll look through today in in 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to go ahead and flip there, you can. Um, but the the subject of spiritual gifts, speci- <coughs> excuse me, um, specifically speaking in tongues, um, uh, is has has sparked controversy, you know, in many parts of the church over the recent decades. Um, what, what, uh, what Whitney sticks to in this and what we're going to stick to today is that regardless of your all's, uh, our, our church's theology, anyone's theology, I, I think and the Bible points out that there are two points here in 1 Peter 4.10 that are the most important points when it comes to spiritual giftedness in terms of service. And that is, I've got them written there. Um, in 1 Peter 4.10, it's there in, uh, on your handout sheet, italicized. It says, as each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So the two main things to, to keep in mind and, and to serve as the foundation for any discussion on spiritual gifts. Um, one, each has been given a gift um, and use that gift to serve the kingdom or multiple gifts to serve his kingdom. Um, I went ahead and listed there um, some insights from a book called Bible Doctrine. Um, it's Wayne Grudem's medium-sized version of his systematic theology book. Um, and so uh, you can look through some of that. I do want to spend some time looking at 1 Corinthians 12, though, as we discuss this. Um, I'm going to read this chapter uh, from verse 12 uh, down to the end of the chapter. Um, and so let's, let's read this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, <clears throat> that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, 
The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And that is where he gets into 1 Corinthians 13 and love. What a beautiful picture of the giftedness of the body. Um, and, and we've already talked this morning how many of, in the, many of us in this room have experienced this over the years um, through, through gifts of help, through service, through um, little acts. And I'm going to say little, but they're significant. Significant acts of our, our meal service that we provide members of our body um, to the way that we've rallied around families that are hurting and suffering. Um, it, 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 it is just incredible to think um, how God's design appears in the church. But we're still on. Okay. I'm good. I'm back. So, what a beautiful picture here of the way that um, our body is designed by our creator um, to serve its function. Again, each person has been given a gift. Um, each person has been given a gift and we are to use it in his kingdom. A couple of the main points here, and, and think about the context that, uh, that Paul's writing in here. Uh, this church is is being called out for some deliberate sin. Um, there is uh, an air of arrogance um, that has taken place in this church. And so it's easy, going back to what we were talking about with um, motivations and serving people for the wrong reason. It would be easy in a brand new church, <laughs> literally a brand new church, um, for, for humans to, to get caught up in roles uh, to get caught up in, in status, to get caught up in um, many of the, the pitfalls um, that we still encounter at times today in our church. Um, and, and Paul's admonishment here is that it, it doesn't matter how you're gifted. Everyone has a way in which they can serve the body and, and, and edify the body. Um, and one of the points that, that Grudem draws out in his book um, it says, there are numerous gifts, and God gives the church an amazing variety. 
and they are tokens of his very grace. Um, a healthy church will have a greater diversity of gifts, and this should not lead to fragmentation, but unity. And that's Paul's purpose in writing this chapter, um, is to take these, these broken souls, this church that's struggling with arrogance, um, the, the church that's struggling with sin, and say, all of you are, are gifted in different ways. Um, and, and whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whether it's working with the, the kiddos on Wednesday nights, whether it's w- greeting people as they come into our church for the first time or the uh, 11,000th time they're walking in the door, it, it makes no difference. All are gifted to serve. Um, and, uh, and going back to Whitney's point earlier at the beginning, there's no place for spiritual unemployment in the body or spiritual retirement. Um, even if there's a physical impairment, there are ways that you can serve and edify the body, uh, be it prayer, um, be it helping out with communication. Um, and, and I believe we're pretty blessed. One of the other points that, uh, that uh, Gruden brings out in his book on Bible doctrine is that church leadership should often be providing sufficient opportunities for a variety of these gifts to be used and discovered. Um, and, and attending this church now for four years, um, we've, we've encountered that. We came, my wife and I came from a very small church. Uh, we had maybe 50 people there on a Sunday morning if everybody showed up and brought a friend. So, and the problem with that is Anna was in the nursery every single week. And some of you all know the story if you've met us, but um, it got taxing. Um, and I was serving in a leadership position there as well, and it just, we were ready for a break. And when we moved, um, we, we took that break. Um, but we didn't stay on the bench, and I'm not saying that to tote us, but we knew we needed some time off and, and needed a break. And I think um, for you all that have been serving our church faithfully, I think we also need to couple this wisdom uh, from scriptures about the importance of serving and not being... Um, spiritually unemployed with the idea that we do need to take breaks. We do need to safeguard our leaders. We do need to um, safeguard ourselves from burnout Um, and relying on the Holy Spirit to give us strength on those nights when we just don't feel like doing it. Um, So the rest of your page there on the first page are some additional notes there that I've typed out uh, from Grudem. Um, I want to call your attention to your back page. Um, I've listed out some other places there um, down here along the bottom where uh, spiritual gifts are listed elsewhere in Scripture. And, uh, you know, uh, Grudem's point uh, in this book is that that there's not a complete exhaustive list of uh, spiritual gifts and that sometimes they can be as unique as the individual that's possessing them. Uh, But again, the point that we want to make this morning is that everyone's been given a gift and uh, we need to be using it to serve his kingdom. Okay, uh, a couple of things here as we kind of wrap up. We got about five minutes. Um, what do you all think of this statement? Service that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Service that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Any takers? I guess I disagree with that. Um, 
I think God can use even poorly intended service to do good things uh, out of his grace to the person that the service was directed. Our, um, I, I certainly agree that it's not a good thing, uh, you know, to, to not have, or not to put our whole heart and soul into what we're doing. Uh, but I think, nevertheless, God's a gracious God. And and uh, and accomplishes things even when we have not really we don't deserve to have a, a positive outcome maybe from something we've done uh, for the sake of others God can still have that be a positive thing. Yeah, I would agree. And the the service services we do get a benefit out of being of service to people without question, but but services really intended for the receiver uh, primarily. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, let's go to Colossians 1 here real quick. Colossians 1. Pick it up in <clears throat> verse 24. Twenty-four through twenty-nine, Colossians chapter one. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul goes through this, these first four verses talking about the work and ministry of the church um, that's being provided uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of uh, the glory of the Father. Um, He talks about proclaiming, warning everyone, teaching everyone. And then he closes it by saying, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Um, Serving, one of the other points he makes is that serving is often hard work. Um, it's an enduring work. Uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus went so far to call it his food. It was something that, that nourished his soul. It can be rewarding both for those, um, as Greg pointed out, for those that are receiving the service, as well as a benefit for those um, providing the service. There is, I think, um, a, sen- a, a positive feeling when you've helped someone or you've, you've uh, provided service to somebody in a time of need. Um, and I think, I think a lot of times, as Jesus points out in John chapter 4, that that's what he is living for. It, he is, is living to serve the Father, um, and that, uh, that when we find ourselves giving ourselves to Christian service in the church, um, it, 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 takes a, it, takes a, it takes a different toll. It, it becomes less about the doing and more about... Uh, 
the way that the Holy Spirit works within us to remind us of the work that we're doing when it is hard, when it is, you know, Wednesday at 5 o'clock and we're trying to get food ready and the kids out the door so we can get to Atwana on time. Um, for the umpteenth time, you've tried to pick a kid up and get him into the Awana classroom. Uh, you know, it, it, it takes its toil. But at the end of the day, we, we pray for those that we're ministering to, hoping that the Lord works his mercies and his goodness through them. Um, one thing here, I'll just close out with this one last quote here because I know we're short on time. Um, big heavy sigh out there. I heard it. Um, me too. Me too. All right. Closes out the chapter by saying this. Wanted. Gifted volunteers for difficult service in the local expression of the kingdom of God. Motivation to serve should be obedience to God, gratitude, gladness, forgiveness, humility, and love. Service will rarely be glorious. Temptation to quit place of service will sometimes be strong. Volunteers must be faithful in spite of long hours, little or no visible results, and possibly no recognition, except from God for all eternity. Except from God for all eternity. And we'll close up there. Um, Let me pray and, and you all can be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you've equipped each of us um, to serve the body. Um, We pray that as we begin to explore and seek out those gifts in our own lives, um, that you'll fan those into flame as they may uh, weaken or or ebb and flow over our lives. Um, We know that you sustain us for service until you call us home, um, that we're to be active and a vital part of our church community and to those around us outside of our church as well. Uh, We thank you for the example that Jesus gave us in Scripture. Um, And may we look to him for uh, all the energy and strength that we need uh, to provide um, service to those around us in your name. Again, we thank you for this body. We thank you for the encouragement that comes from it. And it's in your son's name we gather. Amen.